His style has a lot to do with technique, right? Like when you have a proper technique or an efficient technique, then then style kind of comes through. They want to throw a lot more spray. They just want, they, they cut the flow because they're cutting turns short. Let's work on holding that rail. Welcome to the Basis Podcast. We're with Magnum Martinez, a pro surfer. He was the Masters ISA uh, world champ. He's an Olympic coach. Daughter uh, has a little daughter named Shakti who absolutely rips. That's actually how I met Magnum for the first time. I saw this little, just this tiny little girl just ripping on these, you know, on this wave. And then uh, after her wave, I see Magnum on the next wave, and I was like, "Wow, that's uh, quite the the father daughter duo. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably going to be like the next Caroline Marks or something like that." Uh, he's based in Puerto Rico, and uh, very honored uh, to have you, Magnum. Thanks for joining. Uh, thanks so much, man, for having me in your podcast. I really like your approach to to everything you're doing and uh, how you're diving into like some interesting aspects of surfing and in many different ways. So thanks for having me. It's a, always an honor and a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks. Appreciate the uh, the kind words. All right. So why don't we dive into it? Um, why don't we just start off with kind of the beginning of your journey, how you got into surfing? I think it's an interesting story because you're from Venezuela, from my understanding, which is, I'm sure that they're, they get waves. I mean, they're kind of tucked up there right in the Caribbean, um, but they're not known for world-class waves, you know? So on that Atlantic side, kind of like, you know, where Argentina, Brazil, et cetera. So why don't we start there? How did you get into surfing? Did you come from a surfing family or, or how did it all start for you? Yeah, so yeah, I I was born and raised in Venezuela and I'm actually from Caracas, from the capital city. So I didn't grow up near the beach, even though my parents will take us to the beach, you know, since we're little. But I was more into soccer and other sports, you know, being living in the city. My dad was a, a good uh, water guy, you know, like a diver and like spearfishing and, and free diver. So from a young age, we got introduced to the water and the out, you know, like, you know, open ocean. And, and he kind of gave us that, the swimming background and all this stuff, which it helped a lot once being in the ocean. But I didn't start surfing until I was 15 years old. That was the very first time I actually hopped on a, on a fiberglass surfboard, if you want to call it that way. Cause we did like a little season down at one beach club that we used to go to on a, on a bodyboard. My brother and I have a younger brother. His name is Cherokee and he's two years younger than me. And we used to do everything together, you know, close in age. So yeah, it was him who actually got me into it. Like he started surfing right before me. And uh, the quick story is that we're in Margarita Island, which is a nice, uh, beautiful island, very touristy in Venezuela. And we were actually, this time of the year, it was August, September, and there was this hurricane swell that just swung by and the waves were pumping. And I was like, we're hanging out at the beach and my brothers were sitting there on the beach and I'm looking at the ocean. I'm like, wow, that's fun, whatever, I'm going to go out. And I grabbed the board and I'm actually on my way out not having a clue what I'm doing, except for that, you know, being able to get on a booty, on a uh, bodyboard and, and, you know, swim out. And then my brother actually ran after me and like stopped me. He's like, what are you doing? You're going to drown. And it was actually pretty solid. 
Yeah. And uh, he stopped me right then and he's like, hey, no, let's let's do it. You know, if you really want to learn, let's go to the whitewater. And he actually pushed me into a couple of whitewaters and I stood up and I was like, wow, this is like, you know, next level. I really got hooked. And then we went back to Caracas and linked up with some of my buddies that were already surfing and then start going down the beach which is another story another process of getting to the beach back then and that's how everything started surfing in in venezuela oh wow this is 89 by the way 89 nice wow so your brother saved you from certain deaths by uh not letting you go into gigantic pumping hurricanes well like on your first time surfing that's pretty funny i was probably gonna get really worked because i remember i have a picture of waves actually top to bottom it was it was yeah. like solid like gnarly v trick and, and i was just like kind of clueless wow yeah. so you lived in caracas how far away is caracas from you know the surf so the very first place that you hit as you go down the beach is like uh, you come down it's uh, and you start seeing the ocean and and there's the airport the international airport and that's about you know somewhat around thirty minutes but the beaches around there we we didn't frequent those places we went farther down the coast so we had to drive once we were down at the beach and. So the closest place was like 40 minutes, 45 minutes, every time to an hour, which is like the farthest one away, this uh, Los Caracas, uh, it's a point break, right hand point break. And that's one of my favorite waves till the day. And uh, so I grew up surfing Playa Los Cocos, Pantaleta and Los Caracas. That was the three main spots. And, and they were different, which actually helped me in my surfing later on. Los Caracas, a little kind of mushy, fun point break cobblestone pantaletas like this peaky weird like moody beach rake and los cocos is this like wedging left barreling off this sam of this uh jetty uh in front of a hotel and and that's kind of that and the and the characters around it's what shaped me in the first few years of my life uh, as a surfer oh nice that's super fascinating so you grew up a little bit inland so it's not it wasn't as easy as just like you just walk to the beach and you go surf so how how often were you able to surf and how did yeah so first uh, yeah how often were you able to surf when you yeah got younger? well at first it was like if i got to the beach twice a week it was like i was good you know on the weekends at first because you know i was 15 and and it was an interesting stage of my life because I've, I've always felt like a you know i was meant to be a, an athlete of some sort and I was really really into soccer it was like I felt like I had the potential to become a soccer a professional soccer player but I kind of hit like a moment where I couldn't find you know like from like 14 going on I couldn't find a club to join and it was like kind of got lost started partying the girls and the whole scene in the city was crazy and uh, got a little lost there. And then surfing was kind of like, oh, wow. And then I started surfing and I was just so hooked. And it was a mission to get to the beach. First of all, we got to find somebody that had a car to drive us. And then not only that, but then, you know, there's cops on the ways. They'll pull you over. You know, if you look too young, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll want money, you know, the whole thing. And then... 
it was just, it was a mission to get to the beach. And back then there was no surf report, nothing. So you show up and it could be one foot blown out and that's what you got. And that's what you had to deal with. So I kind of, that helped me, um, gain this appreciation for surfing that till the day. And I think until the day I near my last day on this earth, I'm going to have for surfing. I see one, two foot waves out of hobos. And I see some of my students kind of like, yeah, it's small. I'm like, no, nah, bro, that's like her sister. Go get out there. Those are actually surfable, surfable waves and you can have fun. You know, it's part of the whole process. So yeah, the waves were, you know, often very subpar, like windy, small, like, so obviously gets good, but a lot of right. times there was not much to, to be had. So do you think that that actually was one of the keys to you getting better as a surfer in that you would just go, even if it was bad, you would still surf because you spent an hour to get there and you learn how to surf bad waves or how do you think that shaped your approach? Yeah, it definitely did. And it shaped it in a few ways. And like, first of all, it was like, it took me a good like five, six months to even get going because you, you know, back then it's not like now, like, oh, let's go to the instructor, get a jump on a foamy, go to get on the, on the white water. They push you, they teach you how to pop up all this stuff previous, you know, uh, back then it wasn't like that. It was like somebody like handing you a board. It had nothing to do with what you were capable to ride or your weight or your height, nothing here. There is a surfboard, get out there. And they barely tell you a tip or two, and then you're just getting murdered. You know, it's hilarious. And you're getting caught. I remember cutting my feet with the fans and brushes and just, just disaster. It was really funny, but that kind of like creates and it kind of seeds this deeply appreciation for, for, you know, where you grow up and, and the environment. And the waves being not good a lot of the times, also when the waves got good, it was like this, like beyond this euphoria that as we're coming down that road, when we first see the ocean, we're trying to see if there's lines, if there's a little white water on the, on the jetty by the port. And it's just, it, it's really hard to explain, but that whole thing, it was so big, so large to be able to, you know, experience all that just before we touch the water that I, I have the utmost respect for surfing. Yeah. That sounds very magical. And so how did you get so good then surfing, you know, relatively infrequently? Like, did you, uh, that's fascinating because I think a lot of people can relate to that. They might be weekend warriors. They might not live close to the beach. So, you know, how did you get so good? Cause you obviously are extremely talented surfer. Um, if you couldn't go surf all the time. Well, thanks for the, for the kind words. Uh, I actually do not consider myself a highly talented surfer. I am more of like a self-made, hardworking, like dedicated surfer that actually went from being at 15. I sucked really hard at surfing. You know, I had a horrible stance, horrible style and like, I worked really hard. Like I, you know, at that point when I realized that I wasn't going to be a soccer player and surfing just captivated my heart and had all my energy, 
all I knew is that I wanted to give it everything I had. I that's all that's the only thing I knew for certain, you know. And I had, you know, there was really good surfers and during that time of of of, of you know, the history of surfing in Venezuela, late 80s, early 90s. So from the get-go, I was looking at guys like Pedro Rangel, Sergio Martins, like Enrique Aular, and some of these guys were like, you know, they were competing out at Soup Bowls and the World ISAs against Kelly, Taylor Knox, uh, Rob Machado, Chris Brown, Peter Rangel beat Chris Brown se like several times. And there's a story of uh, Chris Brown going to all married going like, man, I don't know who's this kid, this dark kid from Venezuela, but every time I pal out with him, he waxes me. And and so there is a lot of like history in Venezuelan surfing that not a lot of people know about. And so it was actually a blessing for me to be introduced to surfing very late during, you know, at 15, you know, learning just at 15. But being able to see all these characters, all these really good surfers already, and and kind of just being in awe of them, and and just going like, okay, I got it, you know, I love this, and I'm gonna do my best. So I really put a lot of time into it, even though I can only sometimes it was like one one day out of the week. And then finally, I got a car, and I used to skip school, go to the beach, you know. And any chance, go to the beach at 3 p.m., you know, show up, surf for like an hour and a half or something. It was, it was like, there was a lot of effort, you know. Uh, and, and again, all that, I think all that, like, all those dynamics kind of gave me that appreciation that when I was able to surf, I, I just gave it everything I had. And I think that's what made me you know, want it so badly and get better quicker. Cause then by the time I was like, you know, 17, I was already competing. And then the last year of, of my juniors, I won uh, the last event as a junior. And I was like, okay, national heroes and being like, okay, I, you know, you guys are way better than me, but I'm, I'm catching up. So it was a really cool experience. That's fascinating. Hey everyone, it's Van. Hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, it'll only take you literally a few seconds, and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. And I imagine, you know, so some of the people you might have been competing against, maybe they grew up surfing since they were little kids, the way Shakti probably is, right? And so when you're in, I, I'm actually curious as a father and how you see how she learns. I just imagine that when you learn at such a young age, it's much more of this intuitive process. But then if you're learning at 15, not to mention if you're earning, learning at an even later stage, you know, you have to be a lot more analytical and figure things out. It doesn't come as naturally. Yeah. So, you know, what was it like for you when you were trying to figure out how to do maneuvers and all this, you know, watching your peers, like, what was that like for you and how did you improve? I mean, was it just simply watching your peers and just trying to emulate them? Did you just really have to break things down? What was your approach? How did you get good to the point where you were beating them finally, eventually? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because um, I'll go 
and then I'll I'll jump into my daughter's like uh, example real quick after. But we were so gone ho about surfing and so in love with it that we'll spend hours watching surf videos. You know, I watched Pump by Villabon like somehow like probably north of five hundred times. I still watch it to the day. I have Shakti watch, you know, Aki and things like that. Uh, we watch Tom Curran, we watch Black and White, you know, all those videos like the Hawaii 90s, 91s, like just what it was hot during that time when I was like learning how to surf the Way Warriors, Pods, like you know, Fletcher's, you know, Mar Archibald and uh, Dino, Shane, you know, all these like legends. And it was like, I don't know, I don't know if it's, it was different then. And I want to say somehow it was different, but the magazines, like there was something that really captivated you and inspired you back then to surf and to be, look at those guys, look at the contests and look at the things that they were doing and the way they were surfing. That was just like, wow. And then you at that time, which was out of the water and or, you know, at home and the city, not being able to watch a video and go surfing, but to like wait until maybe next day or the following day or here if somebody went to the beach and there was waves. So going down there and then, you know, if you ran into a, a good surfer, then you learn from them. But I also had the blessing to have one of my best friends growing up. He was older, he had a car and he was really he was a good surfer, but he was really analytical and he was very technical driven. He liked, he liked to break down things and, and he was like a mentor to me, two of them, Eduardo Espinosa and Tote, which later on Tote uh, had a, a surf shop end up like, you know, give me a job at the surf shop and give me rewards and then sponsor me advanced surf shop back in the day. So I owe so much to those guys, you know, but they drove me to kind of understand better to like, hey, you know, go to the bottom, do a bottom turn, do a bottom turn. And, you know, as you're aware on waves that are short period, like there are mostly in Venezuela that are quick, you're not thinking in bottom turning, you want to go down the line, you know, but the blessing was that we have point breaks that are slow enough of waves that allow you to learn the flow and to read the wave and not to get ahead of it. Because if you only surf, you know, fast closing out V-Trix, then you're just like trying to gain speed and be reactive. Whereas a point break gives you that other perspective, the other option to read the wave, to like think a little bit more, have more time to, uh, you know, have better timing, you know, and, and brush your skills on a, on a slower wave use the rails, you know, stay in the pocket, all these things. So it was all that, all, all these things that kind of shaped my, my surfing, but those guys that really helped me out and, and kind of were my mentors, like helped me a lot back then. There was no really, not really coaches. Like there is not nowadays that are really precise that that will teach you a whole lot of stuff. It was more like, you know, just a little bit of info, a little bit of insight and a lot of like, do it, do it. A lot of like pushing you to do it, you know, like, Hey, you surf that, hit it harder. You know, that's a typical hit it harder. They're not telling you 
kick your back leg more or like compress and decompress and switch, switch your, you know, your weight. They're just telling you hit it harder. And you got the message. It's like, okay, I got to hit it harder somehow. I got, <laughs> you know, it's like, so I don't know. It's funny because it was, it was really raw, but I, I, you know, I think watching videos a lot, then I learned later on watching tennis and, and I'm not a good tennis player, but when I first grabbed a racket, I watched so much tennis that I could actually play way better than I expected to play mm -hmm. because my brain had been watching so much good tennis, yeah. you know? And so that was like, wow. So you do obviously learn by watching, you know, and and it's proven yeah. scientifically. So, uh, you know, it's all these little aspects and all these little things that contribute to you. Yeah, do you, do you remember any, you know, as you were coming up, was there any weakness that you had was there something that you really struggled with or that you got stuck with and then it took a lot of hard work or maybe some little insight from your friend allowed you to figure unlock and, and break through that plateau do you remember anything like that yeah so i had a really wide stance like really crabby you know like and really ugly and i think i don't remember exactly when when I start fixing it or working on it, but but I obviously watching videos and I had a, a, a buddy of mine that we surfed a lot together and we push each other and we kind of like, hey, no, do this better. You do that. So the stance was a big one for me at, at the beginning. And, uh, and then I remember, because then going back to Venezuela and surfing, obviously as a pro surfer already, I used to go back home a lot. And all friends of mine that watch me grow up, they will say, man, like your timing, your surfing, you look effortless nowadays. Like it's, it changed so much. You used to be kind of spastic and, mm -hmm. and your stance was a little wider. So it was not as pleasant, you know, to the eye mm -hmm. and not as effective. So I think that, um, that was one of the things that I struggled at first, but then shortly after 93, I moved to California and, and then it was, you know, that whole thing went to another level, you know, being able to watch Taylor Knox and Todd Prestige and Rob Machado. And I, I lived in Oceanside from 93 all the way to like 2010, more or less. So it's like, that's another part of my life. I lived in California for nearly almost 20 years. So. That definitely, you know, that definitely polished everything that has to do with surfing in my life where, you know, from being yeah. a professional to your relationships, to how you relate to people, to shapers, to surfboards, to surfing beach rakes, to surfing point breaks, cold water, you know, running into Mike Lambrice into, you know, like this legend so how so yeah so how did moving mm -hmm. to california help you fix your stance and you said your timing Th those are the two things that you said your friends like noticed you know kind of that effortless timing and flow so like, let's focus on the stance for example like what was it a really gradual process or was it a really conscious thing that you had to do i'm sure a lot of people struggle with fixing their stance so i'm sure people would love to hear how you fixed it for yourself yeah and like i said if i if i would have had a a coach to point it out and film me and then tell me and you know on land this is how you do it you're you know it's so this wide or this is why you're stepping so wide you know your stance is so wide 
and this is how you can correct it, it would have been a lot easier, a lot faster, a lot less painful, you know? But so to me, I like, it was just like that drive to just get better no matter what. Like there was not an option for me not to get better because now I'm 19, I'm in California. I got to wait tables. I got to bus tables. I got to, you know, deliver stickers, surfboards, like print, whatever I could get my hands on. And then, but at the same time, I'm in one of the meccas. So I'm looking at surfers that are way polished, that are really good surfers and talented. Plus the surfers that I kind of, I got inserted through Michael Barron from Burn Surfboards into like Oceanside. And I got to the factory right off the plane and he gave me a war and a wetsuit and grabbed one of his team team writers uh, back in the day, John Rundy, he's like, you're going to be staying with them. Have fun. And I didn't even speak English. So it was like, holy moly, I got thrown into the mix dead on in early 90s. These guys were listening to punk rock, doing bunk ribs every morning. And, and I was just like, <laughs> cultural shock at its best. But it was such a beautiful opportunity for me to learn. And then, you know, and then I met Corey King and he worked for Linden. Then I met Gary Linden. And, you know, there's so many stories I, could, I have to say to tell you, but it was being surrounded by these guys. And, and you know, the, the Burn team, like Jeremy Hyatt, you know, like, I don't know, Jason Bennett was a little kid back in the day. And, so it was really cool because they paid more attention. They were kind of very, I, I will say they were very like self-conscious about style back then. It was like a thing. And I was coming from the other side of like raw, ah, like just try to destroy anything to like, oh, wait a second. These guys are really paying more attention to style and technique. So it wasn't like anyone was telling me things it was like I started picking up things and then I started watching myself in video because those guys will video each other every now and then and then be like oh okay uh, this is where you know this is how I can fix my stance and it was just more like you know just bring that front foot back you know it, it wasn't like a special technique like I've done with Shakti to like I put the board flat on the sand and be like okay step this wide and no pins on the sand and like trying to move the board like you know like stand forward on the board with a wider stance now step back step back all the way to your back foot's on the tail and your front foot's not too wide and now move the board and the board just you know easily moves mm. and it's like you understand now how and why you need to be back on the tail to make the board feel more responsive and more maneuverable right Obviously, that's just a stance at, at, a, at certain things that you're doing in the wave because you're driving, you're more forward, blah, blah, blah. But it was, you know, it was just trial and error. A lot of, a lot of, you know, watching and learning and watching and learning, but not, not a lot of coaching from anybody in particular. It was just kind of osmosis from being surrounded by so many good surfers and people just them being so conscious about their style. And I think that's, that's really interesting. And so that drill that you mentioned with Shakti, so that's just just having her stand on that surfboard. That's to help her understand why you want to sit on the back of the surfboard. But then let's say 
you know, maybe she is struggling. She's not far back enough on the surfboard or her stance is too wide. Are there any tips that you give her to kind of fix or make adjustments when you're in the water or, you know, maybe not shock to you, but any of your surfers that you coach, like, how do you, how do you fix that for one of your surfers? How do you remind them, Hey, you need to, to make these adjustments? Yeah, there's, so there is a few techniques or approaches to it from, you know, a line or where you want their foot to not be any pass forward from. So you put like a line with a color wax, you can take off the wax. So when they put the foot too far forward, they feel like they don't have traction. It's a little bit dangerous, you know, risky because you can slip and fall and you don't want to hurt yourself, obviously. But so, and then there's also little marks that you can put on your surfboard to like remind you of things and not just with your stance, but maybe rotation, compression, you know, and all these things to remind you because the, the hardest thing about surfing is it's like constant motion, movement, changing. So there's so many things you have to do in order to catch a wave that by the time you catch a wave, you forget what you were out there to work on. Unless you uh, you got certain level that you're like, no, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to compress off the bottom turn and you catch that wave and you do it. But that's not always the case, you know, it depends on your level. So there's all these little tips that you can apply. Like I said, like color wax or take the wax off or, or put something on the nose of your board that reminds you of when you stand up, you know, to that foot needs to be back. But also where are you standing? Like laying on your board, are you too far forward? You know, how's your pop-up when you bring that front foot? Where is it landing on? You know, is it too far? You're used to spread out. And so I think it's it's very unique to the person and to the mechanics of their body or how they actually get to the point of standing up on their board. Then, then you can be like, okay, that person maybe needs this uh correction on this way uh and not that way you know like maybe it's all prior to actually standing up that you can fix their stance you know so that's that's really fascinating you know i've thought about that as well but if let's say you have somebody that struggles with ending up too far forward on their surfboard they're not far back enough would you actually recommend they paddle a little bit further back on the surfboard because the problem is you'll probably pop up further back, but then you'll also not paddle into the wave as easily, right? So there's that kind of two pros and cons of that that approach. Is that what you recommend, or is it more that you paddle in the same place to get into the wave easy, but you just make sure to when you pop up, you push back to get onto the back of the surfboard? Kind of what, what's your recommendation there? Yeah, and I think it, it really is unique to the person and how their mechanics, how they move their bodies, how they pop up. Because you can do that, like, if if they're a little too forward on the board, which it happens, you know, then just by then scooting back, you know, on the board, then when they stand up, it's like, oh, now they're further back and you may fix the problem then. Otherwise, they may have to pay more attention to when they plant their back foot to be farther back, you know, and then as they stand up, you know, if, you, you know, then you have the front foot problem, you know, if you didn't correct it by planting your back foot farther back then you need to address that so you need to see like what you know I ask a lot of questions as a coach because there's we can you know as as a coach that has a a good amount of knowledge 
you can give and communicate all this knowledge of all you want, but the truth of the matter is everybody learns in different ways. You know, we, we do not all learn the same way. So I like to ask questions and based on the response I get from my clients or my students, then I know more intuitively how to approach that and how to make them like, you know, give them the adjustments that make sense to them. And I want them to understand that. I want them to break them down. I ask them, tell me, how do you do it? Like, so now what do you think it's, it's going on? How do you think you can fix it? And then get into that conversation because what I want to do is actually create awareness in them so they can become more aware of what they're doing, their movements, their stance, their body mechanics, so they can become better surfers and actually fix themselves, you know, instead of being like, do this and not really, you know, why? It doesn't, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it doesn't make, yeah, no, totally. So this actually brings up something that's interesting. You know, uh, I think there's this debate in surfing. Is style something you learn or is it something that's natural? What do you think? Oh, well, um, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I see people focusing, like to me, to my personal opinion, over-focusing on style. And, and I think style has a lot to do with technique right? Like when you have a proper technique or an efficient technique, then, then style kind of comes through, but then you can work on certain things to like exaggerating or accentuating certain movements or, or your stance or your posture. And that adds to your style, right? So if we think about it, let's, let's go, I'll go and I'll go all out and put myself out there and talk about Craig Anderson. You know, he's an amazing surfer, but to me, his style is just so like, he works so hard on looking a certain way that to me doesn't look natural, you know, I like, and he's an amazing surfer and I have nothing negative to say about him. Personally, I'd rather look at somebody like Rob Machado that has such an amazing technique that his style comes because his technique is so polished. His arm placement, the way he looks, the way he rotates his hands, you know, it's so the way he walks on the board, he stands, that creates that style, you know, instead of trying to look a certain way and then kind of forcing that into you know, into your technique. I'm not saying one is wrong or one it's, it's right there that we're all different and, and it's an expression. Your style is an expression of yourself and, and it should be unique, you know, to yourself. But the, what I'm saying is I see it when it's natural, like Aki, like Aki is just raw. He is raw and he has one of the best styles ever. You know, I love the way he serves. He's just raw, but like, he has really good arm placement sometimes, but then on a on a backside snap or reentry, he barely rotates his torso. He's all torque. He's he's so strong that he doesn't need to rotate the torso like I do, or like a maybe a thinner guy, lighter guy has to do to create more torque. Or even like Mick Fanning, you know, his torso is like a you know wind up at, at that wind up uh, effect with his hips and. Aki's just like, 
just one powerful powerhouse. So it's like then his style kind of it's it's because of his body build, and then Curran has that style, and then Kelly has had his style, and his style changed because he started applying more pressure to his surfing and going more radical, and then his style suffered. You know, like uh, Kelly, and sorry, Kelly, I love you, but his style, when you see him in the early 90s, was just like, oh, I watch him. I watch him till the day. It was like the most flawless, most beautiful thing to watch because it was like a, the best mix of like current with like this innovation and this flow and this flair. And it was just like nothing better. There was nothing better. So good. So good. And then it changed because he started going crazy after some crazy turns. And, and I don't know, maybe his hips or who knows what exactly like, but it, it definitely changed. He still surfs beautiful. He still has an amazing technique, but it definitely changes not where it used to be. And then if we can talk about quickly about Ethan Urin, then you're like, wow, look at that technique and that style. It's like the marriage. It's almost like a perfect yeah. marriage. Oh, there's so much to talk about. It's gorgeous, yeah. Well, so when you say you said earlier that you think some surfers focus too much on style, and I guess the question is, you know, let's say you're a beginner surfer versus an intermediate surfer versus an advanced surfer, and obviously it depends how you define it, right? But let's say you're a beginner surfer, you know, you're you're kind of trying to figure out how to catch waves and ride down the line. You're not really doing maneuvers yet. Let's say intermediate is somebody that is starting to work on maneuvers and they can do maneuvers and then advance, you know, they're doing maneuvers extremely well and they're just trying to refine it. For each yeah. stage, how would you say, what what emphasis should there be on style? Yeah, so I will, I will suggest to focus in more on proper technique and proper posture on proper arm placement, right? Without being too rigid, right? Like I don't tell my surfers, hey, change your style, looks horrible. Or like, I'm like say, I just go like, hey, if you bend your back arm, I'm a regular, if I bend my arm and all of a sudden my arm leaning, you know, like before I get to the forearm, it's extended like that. It's my hands pointing that way, right? The moment I bend my elbow, my hand can point up, can point forward, can point down. So just that right there, it's one of the best examples to just adjusting one part of your body can change your weight distribution, your projection, and a lot of things. So more than style, I focus on technique. You know, because I think style is something that it's really innate and I wouldn't dare to actually be like that, you know, like you should change your style. But if I see and I see a lot of surfers that sometimes they look really good posture, like back knee, a little knocked in, the hand, you know, like hands pointing forward, but then they can't get the board on the rail. I'm like, what's the point? You know, you have all this perfect posture, but you're so over focused on that. You haven't even learned how to put the board on the rail and do a proper rail turn. So it's, it's really, it's surfing is very unique, you know, and it's, it's really, it's not an easy sport to like teach, to coach, to actually, you know, do this adjustments to change and better your technique. But I will definitely focus on technique posture prior to 
to style. And then I will suggest, okay, if you want to do something and you want it to look certain way, why don't you do this, you know, based on technique and feel how that arm being lower, what it does to your, to your style. How do you, how are you going to look? And then based on that look coming from technique, from position, art positioning or compression or rotation, then how does that look? Does that look better? That's it. If, more importantly, does it feel better? Is it more, you know, it's smoother? Is there more flow in the movement, more harmony, you know? And then right. I, I think that's a, a, the way I approach my coaching more. It's more like that than, you know, oh, you know, put your arm like this and let your hand hand right. your front arm, let it dead, you know, don't move it. I, I don't approach it like that. Right. Well, I think what you're saying has a lot of truth to it. And it's, it's almost like there's a certain level of style, which is just good technique, right? If you have bad technique, for example, your stance is too wide or whatever it might be, right? That is bad technique and also going to be bad style. But then once you get to a certain level, as long as your technique is sound and fun, you know, the fundamentals of your technique are sound then the style is just an expression or an extension of it. And there's all sorts of variations, right? So from yeah. Craig Anderson to Rob Machado to Ethan Ewing. And then at that level, it becomes more personal, but there's still that foundation of good technique at the base of it. So it's the, whatever, it's like kind of the cherry, it's the cherry on top, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what kind of you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And I'll give you my daughter's example, Shakti, like, and and to go back to you know because I think it's it's very valid point, like I never really told her anything about style. Her style is her expression. You know, it's how she writes a way of how she flows through movements. And but what I what I really made a, an emphasis on it's technique. You know, ride the wave, like surf the wave be on the right part of the way the, or where there's energy and be efficient with your movements. Don't, she doesn't do this. Thank God. She serves on the rail. She keeps the ball on the rail constantly. And when I see that and, and it's like, people are like, they really are drawn to her style, but because her technique is, it's, you know, efficient, it's, it's a proper technique. And there's variations and and things and tweaks that you can do, but like when she does a, like a front side top turn and blows the tail and goes into a layback, that's all her expression. I'm behind her telling her if you extend your back leg, you know you're gonna kick the tail and you're gonna compress your front leg. You you know you shift your weight to your front leg and your tail is gonna have less friction and you are gonna be able to throw that tail easier. On top of that, if you use your back arm and you swing it, it's going to help bring that chest to your front leg and release the, the weight and shift away from your tail to your front leg. It's going to release easier. You're going to have, at the end of the turn, a better, you know, your weight distribution is going to be better, better balance. You're going to come out of the turn usually better. And then she adds her own spin to it, you know? and And so that's why... I, to me and style, it's a very personal thing. And, and usually if somebody wants to look a certain way, which I really haven't, and I think a good example is somebody that has a narrow stance and they look good, 
but then they can compress because they're too narrow, they're too tied up, and then it's affecting their surfing. And anyone will look at them and like, wow, it looks graceful. Look how like cool that stands and stuff. But then it's so limiting to your performance, right? So that's that's when you have to be careful with it. And and I'd rather focus on proper technique with mechanics behind it to help understand the student why certain things are better than other things and to actually find what works for you. Because like I said, not everybody moves the same way. Not everybody has the same center of gravity or, or the same way to learn things. So it's, it's really fascinating that way because you never stop learning. Right. Well, what are some of the most common mistakes you see technique-wise then? Man, it, you know, it's interesting. In women, and I'll, I'll go straight to a point, even on, on high levels, I see a lot of bend from the hips. They, they compress to a certain extent, and then it's a lot of bending from the hips instead of bending the knees, you know, and, and compressing more without bending from the hips. And that obviously has a huge effect uh, effect on on how much power you can put on your turns, how how hard you can push. You know, obviously, if you're bending forward, you know, and you have your torso and your head that weigh a lot, and you're too forward, then you can't push really hard because you your rail is going to disengage at one point. So being compressed and and bending the legs more, it's going to give you a lot more. And I I tell people, hey, your legs are like uh, like a spring, like springs, you know, like, or like shock absorbers, but there are springs. The more you load, the more you load, the more energy comes out of them. So you got to use that to your advantage. And and I give him the example of the pro surfers, like, look at, like, you know, look at Felipe Toledo, look how much he compresses and, and extends his legs and how much energy he creates and then speed, you know, and force from doing that right so in women i see that that's kind of like a pattern because maybe because the way they're built differently than men you know so with men uh it's different but also it's like set the ball on the rail hold the rail as long as you can you know transfer your weight and also like i think in general men women compression gets overlooked a lot, you know, because weight distribution is super important, but compression also, and the rotation, I, I like to say my, the, com, the components of rotation are three on your upper body, which is your arms, your shoulders, and your head. And that needs to be in unison. There needs to be follow through, right? And I use the example of a tennis swing or of a golf swing, you know, even baseball, you don't hit a, a, a tennis, you, you don't go back and hit it and stop, right? You swing through and all of a sudden the tennis racket's pointing the other way and the ball's going that way, tennis racket's pointing that way. Why? Because if you stop the motion, even though the contact's already happened and the ball left the, the surface of the racket, that follow through, it's very important to not cut that motion into kind of it's like extension of all that energy of that movement you know so i use a lot of a lot of uh martial arts you know kicks punching all this stuff and how you use your hips how you use all this momentum 
and all this body mechanics to create a full, complete movement. And for men, I feel like sometimes because they're a little bit more aggro generally, but not on all cases, they want to like, you know, they want to throw a lot more spray. They just want, they, they cut the flow because they're cutting turns short. So a lot of the times it's let's work on holding that rail longer, keep the board on the rail, because if the board's on the rail, you're going to be able to push longer, harder, because it's not only the fins holding you in the water, it's also the rail. Also the boards with the rocker, if they're flat, they don't project. They just, they're going to spin like that. But if they're on the rail and that line, the rocker, the bottom can turn there. That's what's going to create projection that creates a more, more amplitude on your turns. The turn looks bigger, more, you know, it just looks better. Right. So to, it's kind of like, let's understand the mechanics of the surfboard of surfing of the face of the wave of the right turn for the right section with the right amount of speed that you need to do that turn on that section. And then let's apply it to it and let's see how it feels, right? And then also, you know, the rotation, the the weight shifting, the compression at the end of it. But I'm like, those are things that I'm like, you know, like if you don't reload, if you don't compress on the bottom turn, then you're leaving energy and speed behind that you're not using, right? And then if you're not recoiling, your back leg before you turn, then you're not going to have enough. It's like trying to push from here or push from here. You're going to have more force behind it, the more recoiling there is. And also, but there's so much stuff to it, all these aspects, you know? So that's why surfing so hard, you know? And then, then put the board on the rail, then look over your shoulder, then, then start pressing gradually, then shift your weight, then finish, you know, your turn. So... Hence, it's not easy to teach, right? Or even to do it yourself. Yeah. That's why surfing is the hardest sport in the world for sure. So, hey, yeah. And, and that breakdown and that and the, that advice is, is really useful. And so how do you, you know, get people to make these changes in their, their technique, right? Like compressing. Everybody knows mentally, or a lot of people know mentally, I need to compress more. But like, how do you actually get Shakti or your, one of your, your clients to compress more? Is it, does it go back to, you know, what you mentioned where, you know, you have a note, you know, on your surfboard or anything like that, or they're just like, you go out, you know, how, how do you get your students to make these actual adjustments? I think that's always the hard part. People know mentally they need to make changes, but then, for, or for the example, like cutting your turn short, you know, that's a very common issue, right? How do you get them to change that? Well, two things, like with the compression and the first compression starts on the bottom turn, right? So if you want to start there, if it's <clears throat> backside is a little trickier, but there's ways to do it with your arm placement, your hands placement. You know, if you're doing a backside bottom turn and your hand, your back hand is high, then it's not going to help you compress. But if you bring that hand lower towards the rail of your board, like if you were going to grab it, but you don't need to grab it, but bring it lower, it's going to help you compress more. It's going to feel more natural to want to get that compression, bend more the knees. Obviously, your front hand needs to be that like pivoting like hand where you're going to pivot around. 
and front side, it's instead of I see you see a lot of that wind up right on the uh, the back arm going like that. But truthfully, when you have a bigger canvas and you do that, you're not being efficient with your projection of the face because as soon as you do that and you decompress, that's it. You're not going to accelerate that much more. But if your front arm it's bent, and instead of touching the water on your on your bottom turn, you bend the arm and you want to put forearm on the water, that's going to help you. You need to get lower because then your arm is too high. If you want to have that elbow and that forearm closer to water, you, you're going to have to bend your knees more. And that, if you hold that compression like that, as you come off the bottom, it's going to do that slingshot effect up the face. So obviously it takes a lot of practice and there's things you can do outside of the water, you know, certain squatting, lunges, like all these different exercises, jumps and all this stuff that it's going to help because like ultimately the repetitions was going to create that new habit. And if you don't do it on land, it's going to be really hard for you to do it in the water when how many ways do you catch in a session? all the distractions, all the things, but on land, you can do, you know, a hundred squats or a hundred reps or anything that you want to work on like that in a few minutes. So you gotta, you gotta understand how the brain works, you know, to create a new habit repetition and how many times, how many hours does it take? In Pilates, they said that that neurological and neuromuscular connection takes more or less four or five hours, you know, to engage the pelvic floor. What? Try that when you haven't done it in the first three hours. You're like, pelvic floor, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? But then through practice and repetition, all of a sudden, that connection gets established. And then it's like, oh, I can actually engage the pelvic floor. I didn't even know it existed for 30 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? So never heard about anybody. <clears throat> Yeah, I've never heard about anybody talk about pelvic floor in relation to surfing. That's fascinating. Well, that's Pilates, and I don't really use that, but that's like, you know, that's a scientific, uh, right. you know, uh, proven point that you need certain amount of repetition to actually create a new habit, you know, certain amount of hours doing something to create a new habit. And if not only you're creating a new habit, you're actually changing an old habit. So it's not easy. So it takes a lot of, you know, focus, repetition, proper technique. I see a lot of people like doing, using the skateboards and I use them with some of my clients, Sursky, Carver, you call it, you know, all these the really good like boards that are out there to, to correct your technique. But like, when I, one thing I say is like, if you go out and you are doing exactly what you do in the water on the skateboard, then you, all you're going to do is cement that habit that you want to change. So it's not going to do you any good. Make sure you're doing it properly first and then repeat yourself. Make sure you know that those repetitions are the proper technique or the proper posture and then repeat them, repeat them, repeat them until you create the new habit. Right. Like I say, uh, what is it? Uh, you don't want an imperfect, well, I forget how it goes. It's like imperfect practice is just going to, you, you practice the wrong thing over and over again. You're just going to, 
get worse, right? You have to practice perfectly. You got to figure out what the perfect technique is and then you practice it and that's actually how you get good. And I think exactly. that's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think martial arts have, you know, you can learn that yeah. from martial arts, you know, and know how tedious it could be. Yeah. Well, I know you, you got to head out of here. You're going to go to the Pan Am, uh, Pan Am Games pretty soon. Uh, but I just want to say thank you. Uh, we learned a ton from uh, all your advice here. And uh, how should people reach out to you if they want to work with you? Thank you for having me. And I wish you had more time, but I'm running around. Uh, hey, uh, you know what? I'm really organic when it comes to my, my coaching. I don't advertise it, hardly anything, but I have an Instagram and I almost can my my coaching one because it's just too much for me. I, I like keeping things simple, and I believe the best advertising is a word of mouth. You know, if you worked with me and you liked what I taught you, you learned something, then that person's gonna tell other people. But cutting through the chase, Magno Martinez at Magno Martinez on Instagram. Uh, I don't check my Instagram every day. I don't respond to the messages all the time. I do my best to like you know every three, four days, you know, uh, I check him and make sure there's nothing important there that's going by unnoticed, but that's pretty much what I do. My, my company is called Integral Surf Coaching. I work with this, uh, surf coach manager platform online. We, we do online coaching and it's a really integral, robust, um, platform that you can do a lot of things, uh, from like beginning level to like you know, high performance, top notch athletes and, and can, you know, create that, uh, kind of like evaluation and the follow through with athletes. So, um, there is all kinds of tools out there. There is, uh, there is a, a lot of coaches nowadays out there. And, but if you, you know, if you want to try myself, I'm here in Puerto Rico, I do, I, I run training camps in Central America and California and Panama and El Salvador and Costa Rica and here in Puerto Rico. I coach the federal, I'm the head coach for the National Federation of Puerto Rico nowadays. And I'm going to go hang out with Max Torres, who's our newest SUP surf world champ. And hopefully I can get him, He I can help him get to the podium. It's all his work just on, you know, adding a little bit of a uh, grain of sand to the cost. All right. Well, nice. Thanks again, Magnum. I'll see you around. All right, brother. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. It's Van. Hopefully, you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully, you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. It'll only take you literally a few seconds and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks.